1: Welcome to Two Footed Podcast brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider and let me quickly tell you why you need a VPN at the moment. Number one, we've had three weeks of blocks for IPTV customers for the Premier League games. Number two, the uh, UEFA Commission have already managed to get a court injunction blocking IPTV providers from showing Champions League games. In Ireland, and that will most likely come to the UK as well. And number three, the Premier League have just announced that they're going to be putting lots and lots of your favourite games on pay-per-view. Do you really want to spend 15 quid per game just to watch your team? Get yourself an IPTV, then get a Liberty Shield VPN, and you get round the blocks. You have no problem. You don't need to pay for the pay-per-view. LibertyShield.com use my code EPLVPN and get 20% off your hardware or software package you can't go wrong tell Eddie I sent you right so this is the part of the year that I look forward to the most it's the part where the transfer window is pretty much over I know we've still got the domestic window to go and, and there is that but the main part of the transfer window is over and that means I get together with my good friend Kevin DeVries from the EPL Roundtable, and we review all 20 teams. So this is part one. We'll review Arsenal, Truth of Leicester today with Mr. Kevin DeVries. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing very well, yeah. Entirely reciprocate your feelings. This is is one of my favorite shows to do a year, and we have managed to do three of them because we also did the season review uh, as well as the January transfer review, and then obviously this air quotes summer transfer review. But yeah, always like going through all the clubs is... As you know, the original point of the EPL Roundtable was that we were going to cover all clubs, not just the big ones. And this format obviously allows us to do that.
1: Exactly. I think this is this is year four of us doing this. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, year four of this, year seven of of uh, EPL
1: Roundtable, which is just nuts. It's crazy. And we're coming up on the seven-year anniversary of the Anfield Index podcast as well. which Yeah, because they started uh, around the same time. Yeah, so... You know, it was between Anfield Index and, and the roundtable that kind of I got my start in podcasting. And seven years later, here I am still annoying people, still uh, throwing out <laughs> some hot takes. Uh, so let's get into some hot takes, Kev. Let's start with Arsenal. Yeah. Your, your favorite club. Um, Not so, even sarcastically. Like <laughs> <laughs> so the Gunners have had a pretty good summer. They signed Pablo Mari on a permanent deal, having had him on loan since January. They signed Cedric on a free transfer, having had him on loan since January. Then they brought in Willian from Chelsea on a free transfer. They brought in Gabriel from Lille for about £23 million. Runner Alex Runnerson from Dion for £1.8 million. And then on deadline day, their big signing, Thomas Partey, uh, coming in for £45 million. They played the buyout clause to Atletico Madrid. They also brought in Danny Ceballos on loan, who they'd had last year, and it's important to have him back because he already knows the system and, he, and what Arteta wants from his midfielders. In terms of outgoings, only two really noticeable, not notable ones. Um, Emi Martinez goes to Aston Villa for a fee in the region of £20 million, and Henrik Mkhitaryan is released. Um, he was the other part of the Alexis Sanchez transfer, where Sanchez went to United, Mkhitaryan came to Arsenal. There's been so much focus on how bad Sanchez was for United. It was largely <laughs> overlooked how bad Mectarion was. Yeah, And we liked that one at the time
0: because he was yeah. like a childhood Arsenal fan. And we were like, he's finally going to be free. Also, uh, worth exactly. noting, you missed out the uh, the future Arsenal midfield pairing of uh, Torreira and Guendouzi.
1: Both of whom are gone now. Yeah, so Torreira and Guendouzi are gone on loan. Arsenal have loaned out quite a few players this year. Uh, Mavroponis has gone to Stuttgart. Zach Medley, Zach Swanson, Trey Cole, sorry, Trey Coyle, Matt Smith, Jordy Ossie, Ben Sheaf, Tyrese John Jules, Daniel Ballard, Gwenduzi, Torreira, uh, Dejan Ilyev, Mark McGuinness, and Tolaji Bola, all out on loan. Arsenal do have an incredible amount of players on their books. I still think there's going to be a couple more loans from them. I think someone like Emile Smith-Rowe will probably find a championship loan. I think Eddie and Ketia could probably go to a championship club, maybe Reese Nelson as well, because they do have a lot of attacking options. But all in all, Kev, I think Arsenal have had a really good window. Now, I'm against the loaning out of Torreira because I think he could be a really good player for them. And I think him and Tomas actually would be a great pairing together. But in terms of their incomings, Mary is what he is. He's a backup centre-back, and he's a decent one. Cedric, the same, you know, a squad player. I wouldn't be overly keen on the Willian deal just because it's a lot of money to, to an older player on a three-year deal. But Gabriel, I think, is a great signing, and I think Thomas I Partey is a, an outstanding signing. I think he's a top-class midfielder. It was an area they were massively in need of solving because... Granite Xhaka has flattered to deceive for a number of years, and he has these little runs of form, and Arsenal fans sort of get Which back is on currently court. on. Yeah, he's currently playing pretty well, it must be said. He started this season pretty well, but he goes through these little phases, and he has like five to ten games where he's okay or good, and then he'll have like ten to fifteen games where he is just awful, and... That's not something you can sustain if you want to be a top four team. If you, if you want to continually be in that top four, challenge for honors, make a run at the title, midfield it has to be a consistent area for you. Even if it's just consistent six out of tens, like Liverpool had a couple of years ago when they were make the kind of first breaking into the top four. That was that will be fine, but when Jack is thrown in three out of tens, that disrupts your team. All in all, I think they've left themselves maybe. One short in defence and maybe one short in attack. But I do like the window for Arsenal. I do think Arteta, in contrast to certain other younger, newer managers in the league, I think he has a real plan in place. I think he knows what he wants. He's got a vision for his team. And I give this window a B B+
0: yeah so that's that's a pretty positive. I agree with a lot of the the points that you made and and the Gabrielle signing looks even more brilliant when you find out that they don't think Saliba is really ready for the Premier League because at the time it's like, okay, you've doubled down on league and defenders uh. <laughs> I guess they're a good future pairing, but are you really going to start two players in their first year in the Premier League together? And it seems like wiser heads prevailed. (laughs) And the answer to that was no. So, yeah, definitely agree. That's a great signing. Thomas Partey on the last day, I think bringing him in was great. I don't know why it took them so long to pay the release clause. Allegedly, the Crunkies stepped in to basically float the bill. Not particularly a good look, given what else is happening at the club. In regards to to staff being let go, um, I think Willian helps them a lot right now. Uh, I totally agree with you, and I know Dan has said on Twitter um, a lot that you know the 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 deal isn't good, but the player is still pretty good and has obviously yep. helped them pretty early stages here. That the issue is going to be what we in the states would refer to as dead money—that the back end of his contract when he's not good anymore is going to be
1: real expensive for a player that isn't going to be contributing. It'll much. be another also. Yeah. You yeah, know, really would. They're going to get rid of Ozil this year, and then they're, they're going to have another Ozil in a year or two.
0: Yep, and they're planning for it. And also Aubameyang, who they also just gave a really long-term extension to, despite mm-hmm. him getting up in age. And, and Aubameyang is a very good finisher. He constantly outperforms his XG and everything, but he also heavily relies on his pace. And once that starts to go, I don't know if, if he'll be the same player anymore. So they they have set themselves up for a precarious future. But for this year, I do think they've improved themselves. Mm. Um, we talked to Dan on deadline day and he gave them a four out of 10, which I thought was kind of crazy pants. I've gone B minus, um, but I, I can only assume he's looking at it more as like club future wise than, than the team on the pitch, because I think they will be a better team on the pitch this year than they were last year.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think I can kind of understand Dan understand Dan's point in that, they didn't kind. They didn't really address all of their needs. They've gone a bit of, you know, an immediate, short term impact with Willian and and the contract for Aubameyang, and then longer term planning with with Gabriel and with Saliba coming in, and then Tomas is kind of right in that middle, a medium term signing where he'll help now and he'll help for three years, but in five years when the likes of Gabriel Saliba. Kieran Tierney, Baki Osaka, Gabriel Martinelli, um, when those guys are all in their prime, he's going to be 32. So he, he will be past his best at that point. It has been a little bit scattered. Now, I think there's just... We need to understand that Arsenal have been very tight for money this summer and we're kind of doing things as money became available. And that's why I think the the Tomas thing took so long because obviously they were trying mm. to get our hour. from from yeah. Leon, but they never came close to matching Leon's value. I believe their offer was twenty million below what Leon were asking. So yeah. I think that and, was because little... they said
0: fifty wasn't enough, right? They, they asked yeah. what the price was, and he was like, "Not fifty, sixties closer or something." Yeah, and like
1: Arsenal were offering like mid twenties, a mid thirties rather. So I think that was a little bit of shenanigans there. Um, and I do think, like you say, the owners have had to step in and fund it, which. You can look at it two ways. Number one, the optics are terrible. Given the 55 layoffs, given what happened with Gunnar uh, that it's a terrible look that they've you know laid off all these people and then gone and spent loads of money on footballers. But at the same time, it's not necessarily the worst sign that the owner has finally stumped up a little bit of cash. And maybe it shows that the owner has more belief in this manager than he did in the previous manager, who he never backed once. He didn't dig into his own pocket once to back Unai Emery. So for Arteta in his first summer transfer window to get you know a big green light on a player that he really wanted, I think it's a good sign. Maybe I'm being a little bit over-optimistic on Arsenal this year, uh, and I can understand that. I'm, I may be a little bit over, over-optimistic on a couple of teams this year. But I do, think, I do think when you add in a quality centre-back like Gabriel, a quality central midfielder, like a top-class central midfielder, like Tomas you don't lose Obamiang. I think that has to be factored in as well because a lot of people expected him I think both of us expected him to go this summer Yang expected himself to go yeah, talking about all the that, offers he was getting exactly and then you know like I say I'm not overly keen on Willian because of the length of the contract and the amount of, of wages involved but in that, in the short term yes he's better than Nicolas Pepe now yes he's better than Reese Nelson he's better than Martinelli now so for now he helps them does he help them enough to get them top four? I don't think so. I don't think they're they're quite there yet. I think they'll be just fifth or sixth um, in terms of the top four race. But that's an improvement on eighth. If they can have a good run in the Europa League, maybe they can go and win the Europa League. You know, maybe they could be well set up to go and win the Europa League, and that will get them Champions League football. But like I say, I'm a little bit confident in, in what they're doing, and I really like the approach of Arteta. He's he's impressed me we still need to see more from him in big games in terms of, well, what's your attacking plan. We've seen you do the, the deep line, the deep block of seven and try and hit on the counter, but that's not always going to be enough because you're arsenal football club, you're not Burnley or crystal palace. You need to go into big games and and stand toe to toe with top clubs for the fans to really get on board. But I I think a B plus for me and you've gone B minus. So that's, I think, I think we're, you know, ballpark. We've averaged out at a B and I think that's Mm. fair. Yeah, so uh,
0: I'll I'll head into Aston Villa next. First of all, they spent so much money in in a window that was always destined to be doomed by the coronavirus. I I think, A, the Premier League on the whole actually did very well, considering a lot of other leagues probably didn't fare quite so well because the broadcast contracts are worse and no fans in stands means a much more significant dent financially um, than the Premier League. Obviously, the lower leagues in England still suffering from it. But Aston Villa ended up with around a $90 million loss net spend, which, you know, if you're a team that was a Hawkeye error away from being relegated, you know, maybe you do need to, to stump up the change. And obviously, Aston Villa, a much bigger club than their recent success would belie, but I, I think some of the, the signings that they've made are just fantastic. Watkins, in particular, obviously had the chance to move to basically any Europa League or Champions League club. He was actually at um, Tottenham's training ground uh, to meet with Jose Mourinho. Uh, and then opted for more minutes in, in a bid to try to make it to the Euros next year. Don't think he'll get there. But I, I admire the the optimism there. Same with uh, Callum Wilson, who we'll get to later. Um, but Villa were bottom five in the league in touches in the box last season. So they bring in Watkins, who was the best in touches in the box in the championship last season. We've already seen what he can do, uh, not to give you flashbacks from that weird-as-hell match. Um, but a perfect hat trick and the general performance as well against Liverpool. I, I think his presence just helps pull the the whole team shape forward, um, which is something Villa really needed that might cause issues at the back. But fortunately, they've addressed that as well. I'm bringing in Matty Cash, I think is brilliant. First of all, having two wingbacks named Matty, I think is fantastic. Um, but uh, obviously, both are a little more on the attacking side. But both play in air quotes, defensive positions. Mm. I do think they could have leaned into more defensive minded signings though, because cash will play uh, as a fullback, but he's better when he gets forward. And I know you really like consa. I like Mings, but I mean, they're going to be a much better pairing in like two years than they are right now. They let in a lot of goals last season. I don't think Engels are
1: housed. That, that pairing, though, didn't do too badly last season. Mm. Engles, when Engels played, I thought the defense last year was was ropey. Yeah. Um, Cash, I think, is a much better attacking fullback than the options they had there last year. For sure. But I, I don't think they lose a whole lot defensively because I remember when we played them last year, watching Sadio Mane just have you know the time <laughs> well, that's of his life true. they
0: didn't get worse there defensively
1: yeah so you know i i do i do think they've i love that they've targeted championship players i think there's going to be massive pressure on the manager this year though because yeah, for sure. this is year 2 of spending in and around the 100 million i think they spent 115 last year like you say about 90 this year it's about you know 100 million per summer on average and you know these owners, you know, yeah. especially, um, especially the American chap Wes Edens, he's not going to take, you know, ju- just getting by. Right. He, he wants to win. That's you know his his mandate. And Mister Sawiris, Sawir I think his name is uh, the Egyptian. This is a guy who exceeds expectations in in every aspect of his life. So Dean Smith is under pressure.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And and you were mentioning that, that you think that defensive pairing is, is better than we saw last year. Also, we can't forget what was behind them. They brought in Tom Heaton, which was a great signing, but then he gets hurt. I think they filled well last season by bringing in Pepe Reina, although they refused to play him for those couple of games that really could have wound up getting them relegated. But now they bring in Martinez, they probably an overpay. Twenty mil for a backup goalkeeper feels pretty steep, um, but he's looked good thus far. I think already two clean sheets. Mm, should have looked that up mm. before I said it. But yeah, two clean think, sheets. Yeah, yeah. So already, already impressing in that regard. So it, it seems like they knew what their issues were and they addressed it. And like you said, they they went to the championship for a lot of their signings. Obviously, bringing in Ross Barkley as well towards the end of the window, I think, is is a fantastic signing. Yeah. I'm not petty enough to say that this is uh Barkley's level but it became pretty quickly evident that it wasn't Chelsea's and, and now I'm kind of thankful that Tottenham didn't go down that that particular path um when it looked so certain that we would under Poch but bringing in Barkley not only is he better than a lot of their central midfield options uh bar Louise but also I know this is a huge one for you it means that they don't ever have to even pretend that Grealish is a central midfielder yeah which really led to a lot of their their issues in drop points last season because now he can just play in that front three. So not only does Barkley improve the midfield by his presence, but he also improves it by meaning that they can continue to play Grealish in more attacking positions. I there, I don't think it's a relegation battle this year. I, I agree with you on that front. I think you know, Dean obviously does have a tough task for him. I probably tenthish, I, I don't think it's it's really there for the European spots. And then curious to hear your thoughts on if you think tenth ish is enough considering what they've spent um, and what they're looking at, at trying to reestablish themselves as, but if I was a Villa fan after last year and how that ended, I think tenth
1: would be, feel pretty cozy. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think mid table will be the uh, will be the goal this year for them. I think it's a long term process for them. I I can see you know last year survival, this year mid table, next year maybe a run at a Europa League spot, and then in and year then the four. World- you know, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, but like <laughs> incremental steps, not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, obviously, they brought in uh, Bert Traore as well. And, you know, I think yeah. he's a good signing, whether he's a starter or not. We'll wait and see. He's better than Trezeguet. That's the thing. Now, the only Trezeguet gives them, though, is incredible work rate. And he's a really True. good help defender going the opposite way. And against Liverpool, he doubled up with Maddie Cash and, and really did a good job at kind of curtailing a lot of what Andy Robertson was offering going forward. Um, I think all in all, it's a good window. I think they've addressed most of their positions of need. Um, I really like the signing of Barkley. Uh, look, I, I know what you're saying. I, I think you're right. This is his level. But I don't think that's the disrespectful remark that some people might like take It shouldn't it be an, an insult. Yeah, because the thing is, he's not a top four player. But he could be a top six player or a top eight player for sure. And that's where Villa will want to get to. And like you said earlier, they're a massive club. Traditionally, they're a huge club. They've won a European Cup. They've won multiple league titles. They've won a lot of domestic cups. And I think they're building back towards being a regular Premier League club. When when the Premier League began, they were a title challenger. Under Martin O'Neill, they were a European team. I think they can get back there again. It doesn't mean they're gonna win the title. I don't think that anyone's thinking that, but I think this villa team is is on the right path. I love the signings of Cash and Watkins. There were two players that I thought could have gone to a number of clubs and helped them. Like, for example, Wolves, I think would have been really well um done to get him, to get Maddie Cash. West Ham could have needed could have used him. I think Spurs could have used him because I would have rather buy him than Darty because they're similar players. Mm. But he's seven years younger or five years younger, maybe. Um, Watkins, as you said, could have gone pretty much anywhere, had his choice of clubs. He's chosen to go and work with Dean Smith again. Martinez, yes, it is an overpay. There's no question it's an overpay. At, at Christmas time in the January window, I imagine you could have had him for about five million, but he had one good run of, yeah. run of form and it kind of blew his price up. Key for them, they didn't lose anybody important. That's the key for them. None of their. Mm best players left, they kept hold of Grealish got and signed a new contract, kept hold of Douglas-Louise, that, that's massive and all in all, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's again it's a B-plus window for me
0: Yeah, I think I didn't say my grade, but it's, it's also a B-plus so, so similar thinking there
1: um, We'll jump into Brighton then So, Zach Emerson arrives from, uh, from Oldham, Jensen Weir from Wigan Brighton, one of the clubs that took advantage of the situation at Wigan. Adam Lalana on a free from Liverpool. Joel Veltman from Ajax for just under a million pounds. And then a lot of young players. They've taken a lot of gambles on young players, three of whom in the last couple of days in the window. Andy Zakiri, the young Swiss striker, Swiss Kosovan striker uh, from Lausanne. Michael Karbonik from Legia Warsaw and Jacob Motor from Lech Poznan. The the last three, I don't know much about. I've seen little bits and pieces. I've spoken to a few people, including Lee Scott, who's seen a bit more. They're very high on these signings. But people have said these three aren't ready for Premier League football. Now, the two Polish boys have gone back on loan for a year, so they won't have them this year. Um, In terms of outgoings, Glenn Murray goes out on loan. Shane Duffy goes out on loan. They've kept... you know, Anthony Knockhard went, but he was on loan last year. Aaron Moy is the only really significant outgoing. It kind of feels like an incomplete transfer window to me, Kev, because I had big hopes for them this year because they were getting Ben White back, and that's massive. He's a, he's a really exciting young centre-back. Tariq Lamptey was going to develop even more. Uh, they managed to keep Lewis Dunk. New contract for him. They had Webster. Um, you expected that Basuma and... Proper would have another good season. Alexis McAllister will come into his own. They have Mopé, they have Troussard, they have Connolly. So you looked at their team you thought, OK, a left wing back, if they're going to play this back three, a left wing back would be really good. And a target man striker, a young version of Glenn Murray, someone that can be that focal point in attack, that those younger, smaller, quicker attackers can can buzz around and play off and they didn't get either of those players in. They didn't address the left-wing back, left back situation. Now, Solly March is playing there. He's had an okay start to the season. They haven't brought in that big kind of target man striker. So, to me, it feels like an incomplete window. Now, those three young players they brought in at the end of the window could all turn out to be very good signings. Some of the other youngsters they bought, like Weir and Emerson and a couple of the others, could turn out to be very good signings. They brought um, Lars Dendonker, Leander's younger brother in as well. Um Lalana is probably a good influence around the club, but you can't really rely on him, and he's not a central midfielder in a in a midfield two. So where he fits, I'm not 100 percent certain. He hasn't really impressed in the time he has played for them. Veltman is a squad player. So bar the Fantastic addition of signing fe- them. Oh, a really good signing. Such an intelligent player in his prime, great leader. Very versatile, you know, experience at the highest level, but in terms of the starting eleven, Ben White is the only real addition. Now he's a great addition because he's brilliant for Leeds last year. I think he's going to turn into be one of the best English centre backs in the game. But it does feel like an incomplete window, and for that, it's a, it's a C for me. Yeah, hilarious. Also giving them exactly a C. We should
0: probably look at our notes before we do this to make it more interesting. But uh, I agree with a lot of your points. The The hoovering up of talent is something they've been doing for a while now. Um, and I've yet to really see it on the pitch, which is a little disappointing. Obviously, we'll get to see it with Ben White. Tariq Lamptey, obviously fantastic. I think he was at Chelsea previously. Um, but the, the one I really want to see is obviously McAllister who they've been sitting on for, what, two years, two and a half years now? And we've just kept waiting for him to break through. And then they signed Lalana to fill that role, um, which was pretty surprising for me. Now, obviously, Lalana will be hurt in like three weeks. Um, and then maybe we'll get to see McAllister then. But I, I agree with you. I think, I think what they're aiming at is it's now largely a young squad. They had a very old squad, and it feels like they've kind of refreshed it pretty quietly um, and, and all of a sudden become a much younger one. Um, and they might just be counting on development, that they don't need to make signings in these positions because the players that they already have will develop into what they need. But to your point, you, you mm. can't develop somebody into being five inches taller or being a predominant aerial threat exactly. uh, as a striker. So I agree they definitely could have used that. I know just a player that we basically were listing to every club in England would have been Veghorst. I think this yeah. is one of the many places he could have landed. I think landed. he would
1: have been perfect. I think he absolutely would have been yeah. perfect. He he is kind of a Glenn Murray Peter Crouch hybrid and that's exactly what they could have used he's a good footballer who would have fit in well with what Graham Potter wants but he could have given them that old school threat that that um Glenn Murray provided and then yeah. the other one who your club was touting about on loan was Ryan Sessegnon mm-hmm. who would have been Oh yeah why as a wing why
0: back. didn't they come in for him that would have been a perfect loan because he would have learned how to play wing back defensively, which would Mm. complement his already obvious
1: strength, which is an attack. Exactly. And, you know, I'm sure Spurs would have preferred him to stay in England and get development closer where they can keep more of an eye on him and maybe even have him back up to London every so often just to catch up and, you know, talk with, with the loan manager at Spurs, but for whatever reason, now, maybe it's that they they believe Carbonic is going to be, is going to be fantastic, but, if they could have got Cessna on, say, on a two year loan, well, then that might fit timeline wise when Carbonic will be ready and potentially when Sergio Regulon will leave Spurs if, if Real do decide to buy him back. Because I don't mm-hmm. think they'll do it next summer because their eyes are firmly fixed on killing Mbappe and they'll still have uh, Ferland, Mendy and Mendy, and Marcelo probably next summer. So, yeah. you know, maybe Regulon is. is two years at Spurs, and it could be longer, and we'll talk about when we get to Spurs in part two, but I thought Young would have made a ton of sense. And the other one they missed out on who ended up going to Wolves was Ray and Aitnuri, a- who yeah. they're they're a data-driven club. I'm sure he's one that flashed up on their screens in flashing lights because f- when we did uh, the transfer committee pod for Anfield Index, Dan Kennett said that analytically he was a standard prospect. So, you know, it's an odd one that they didn't address it. At least, at least with a loan for someone like Sessignon, and with but, options out there, like you're saying, mm. exactly. I mean, there's a, you know, Rico Henry still in the championship. Um, Harry Pickering still a crew. There was there's other championship players they could have gone if they didn't want to go and get you know a, a more expensive option like Sessignon. If they get a championship option, like like what do you think the swing for them could be? If they could bring in. If they could bring in Rico Henry, I, I I, think if they'd gotten the striker, and I don't think there's a championship striker left that could help them, but if they'd gotten the striker and the the left wing back, I genuinely think they could have pushed for top half. I think that num- that 10th place is wide open. I think there's six teams that could get 10th this year, yeah. and I think they would have been right in that mix. Yeah, I, I just
0: think they could have done more. And, and kind of like Southampton, who we'll talk about later, I, I was expecting a lot. I thought they were doing interesting things. They, they have a lot of interesting young players. And you're like, oh, you, you capitalize on that and you can really push forward. But in the end, not enough. And uh, another club that I don't think has done nearly enough is Burnley, who I think just continue to abuse Sean Dyche as their manager, because last year they didn't even have enough senior players to fill their bench against Manchester City after the restart. And then they've managed to sign a whopping one senior player in this window. Now, obviously, we know Deich made comments about, you know, the the financial impact that COVID could have on the club. But one player just isn't good enough. Dale Stevens is fine. But he's just a replacement, a.k.a. downgrade, for both uh, Cousin Jeff of yours, uh, Steven DeFore, who walked out of the club for nothing, but is still on a free. And I have thought maybe they'd be interested in bringing him back. But I don't think Dale Stevens who leaves the aforementioned uh, Brighton, if memory serves, we will start over Cork or Westwood or Brownhill, although Brownhill's playing on the right now. Um, Stevens already has 150 minutes, so it seems he's going to be used, but that is not enough of an improvement. Um, The one that I thought was just a huge miss was Harry Wilson, which seemed to be going, and then all of a sudden you guys either upped the price or they dropped the price. We, I'll, I'll let you jump back in on that when I'm done rambling here. Um, but he would have been perfect with Brady and Goodmanson's injury issues because if either one of them is fit, they do well. But they just both continually miss out of the same periods of time, which just basically makes it the Dwight McNeil show. And then they just hope that that Chris Wood uh, can can hammer in the goals for them up front. Um, but it's, it's just it's really, really not enough for them. They have 20 legitimate senior players right now. Like at time of recording. And they're an injury away from losing strings of matches at any position. There is not depth here. The only place where there's any depth is central midfield. But it there are just bodies there. It's not that it's like usable depth. Or, or depth that will really help you in matches. I was close to giving this a D-. minus Because they did manage to keep Tarkovsky. And that did not look a certainty at the start of the window. But they needed to add quality and bodies and didn't. It's an F for me.
1: Uh, an F would indicate that they actually tried in this transfer window. <laughs> so it's a no grade for me because I, I just think it's an absolute disgrace what they've done here. Yes, they kept Tarkovsky, but that's largely because teams went elsewhere. Yes, they kept Nick Pope again because teams went elsewhere. And for some reason, people just don't seem to understand how good Dwight McNeil is. He was incredible last season. I think it's he's gonna have another big season this year and I think he'll be gone. But Dale Stevens, that's that's your answer. You lost Joe Hart and you signed um Will Norris from from Wolves, who's like their fourth choice goalkeeper. You lose cousin Jeff, you lose Aaron Lennon, you let Ben Gibson go on loan. I know he didn't play a whole ton, but you know, it's still a body. Um and Dale Stevens is what you do you pay I think 950 grand or something for him um it's it's just like you say it it's abuse of one of the best managers in the league one of the six or seven best managers in the league and there's only so much he can do like there's only so many years that he can overachieve with this squad he's been there eight years his net spend is around 40 million he's been in this Premier League four years his net spend is around 30 million. He's gotten them two top 10 finishes. He brought them into Europe. And the only times he's ever really been allowed to spend money is when they've sold his players on him. And this is just, it's a shambles. It's an absolute shambles of a window. And they've started the season terribly. Three, defe- three defeats out of three. They look hopeless in defense without Ben Mee. And that says more about the team than it does about Ben Mee. Because Ben Mee's a solid Premier League centre-back. But he's not Virgil van Dyke. He's not Toby Alderweireld. He's not Americ Laporte. He's just a solid centre-back, center which tells you the level of the centre-backs they have behind Tarkovsky and me. The only place where they have two players that you could say, all right, well, they you know they, they can get by with that is the full-back positions. You've got Loughton and, and Bardsley at right-back, mm. and you've got um, Taylor and Peters at left-back. And aside from that, like you said, it's just bodies behind the starters. I mean, yeah, Robbie Brady and Goodmanson are both good players, but they're always injured. Especially poor Robbie Brady, who's fantastically talented but just can't stay fit. Up front, they've got you know they've got bodies, but it is Chris Wood. Ashley Barnes is all right. James or James Rodriguez is all right, but it is Chris Wood that they rely on for their goals. And it's literally four players in this team that you would look at and say. They're quality Premier League starters. You've got Pope, Tarkovsky, McNeil, and Wood. The midfield pair are okay. You know, mm. Brownhill, I think, could develop into a, a good Premier League player. But aside from that, it is really just like sticking someone there and hoping for the best. And it's it's not good enough. And I think... I think they're going to be in for a long season. I don't think they'll go down, but I think they're in for a long season. It's a no grade for me, because they haven't even tried. Like, they just have not tried to do anything. Yes, they came in and they, they tried to sign Wilson, but from what I've heard, is they literally came in, and they knew the price was 12 million rising to 15. And they came in and tried to work that price way down, and they were looking to pay about 6 million rising. And Liverpool were like, no. Not even considering that. Get out. So, you know, it, all in all, it just it's a big missed opportunity for Burnley because they'd gotten 10th yeah. last year. They could have built on it. It didn't need to be massive money signings. There's loads of good players in the championship and in League One that they could have brought in because they've got one of the best coaches in the league for developing players and getting every single little last bit out of players. And they haven't done it. There was loans out there that they could have gone for. Like, I'm sure if they'd gone to Man United and said, look, we'd like to take Phil Jones on loan, but we're gonna need you to pay half the wages. Yeah. We'll pay 60 grand and you pay 60 grand. I think United would have done it. They're not even gonna name him in the Premier League squad by all accounts. So why not do that? Phil Jones is a good centre back. He's not good in big open spaces like he has to defend at United, but in a you know a compact Back four next to someone like Tarkovsky, I think you'd get the very best of Phil Jones, which is a pretty good defender.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then uh, on top of all of this, you have the fact that they have loaned out, ah, um, oh, man, Ben Gibson again. Mm. Who didn't they spend like twenty million on him? Club record signing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they've just continued to loan him out. Last year, I think he wasn't even training with them before no, he, he was. No, he Middlesbrough. He went up to yeah, train yeah, yeah.
1: Middlesbrough because he just wanted away. So Ugh. much. So you it even have a, a body. Off. You have
0: that that vital twenty first body. Yeah, and and you just you just can't make it work. It's 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 really poor. But I agree with you. They they could have gone for lots of dregs of players, but they probably just would have been more bodies. I. It's it's yeah. I, if you're Sean Dice, you have to be really really upset. And when you were talking about what his net spend was over his time there, it really reminds me of pochettino Like he's mm. a victim of his own magic, of like he has managed to pull off success after success with fewer and fewer players and now the board just expect him to do it and it, it is not something you can repeat every year and now you wonder when he's
1: going to hit that wall i i think it'll be at some point this season i think if a if a decent premier league job comes becomes available this season uh i think he will he will go for it now whether he'll get it or not i don't know because obviously a bit of a stigma around him you know because of the style of play but i think that's just people not really actually watching Burnley and just assuming that they're this agricultural team. Um, Good football doesn't have to be played in, you know, six, five games. You can play good football by being great defensively, by being tactically astute, by developing good players and being really, really concise in how you attack. And I think you might get overlooked for one or two, but, you know, like if, if Palace becomes available, At the end of the season, or if they start looking around for who's going to replace the Hodge, maybe he. I know he interviewed there before. Um, He came close to getting the Everton job a couple of years ago before deciding to stay at Burnley. So I think he. I think he will walk. I think there will be a point that will come that he will walk, and then they're screwed because when they go down, they won't come back up because they'll sell McNeil, they'll sell Tarkovsky, they'll sell Pope, and they'll give the manager eight million to replace the three of them. Um, Speaking of a team. Let's mm. some money, though. <laughs> hmm. The exact opposite end of the spectrum, where the manager has been backed with everything he could ever dream of, is Chelsea. So, they got the Hakim Ziyech deal done in the middle of last season. They got Timo Werner done before football restarted. They brought in Ben Chilwell, Malang Saar, Thiago Silva, Kai Havertz, and Eduard Mendy. Um, in terms of it's outgoings... Just bonkers. It's, it's, cra- it's, an, it's a, an incredible outlay. Uh, in terms of outgoings, Pasolich got confirmed to Atalanta. He'd obviously been there on loan a couple of years. Morata uh, confirmed to Atletico Madrid. That was a, a loan with an obligation to buy from last summer. Uh, Pedro has gone on a free. That's sort of the, the one who played last year. Has gone. They've loaned out 400 million players, as they always do. Uh, notable ones include Lucas Piazzan, who I can't believe they still own. They seem to have had him out on loan since, like, the 70s. Um, Mitch Batuai went to Palace on loan. Zaba Costa went on a free. Ethan Ampadu went on loan. Uh, Ross Barkley went on loan. Yoko went on loan. Ruben Loftus-Cheek went on loan. Malang Sarr went on loan. Marco van Ginkel, who again, I don't understand why they still own that poor guy. <laughs> why is he still on your books? Um, so they loaned out about 30 players, truth be told. About 30 players have gone on loan. It could even be more. But um, it's a strange window. In terms of the names they've brought in and the outlay, it's an A. But when you dig a little bit deeper, I'm not sure it is. So. And he made sense as an addition to the squad from last season. Timo Werner is a very good player. He made a little less sense. And that was kind of an opportunistic signing because, as everybody knows, he was going to Liverpool. And then Liverpool pulled out of the deal because of, of COVID. Chilwell is a good signing. It's a big overpay. But it's a good signing. Malang Sarr is a quality young centre-back to bring in on a free. Worst case scenario, they sell him in a year for 10 to 15 million. No problem. Thiago Silva is a bizarre one for me because he's 36. He's never in his life played in an expansive team. He's never had big spaces to defend. He's never played in a league that plays at a very high tempo. Kai Havertz is an incredible talent and I'm actually exceptionally jealous of the signing. But... Him and Zajic is a little bit redundant. They operate in very similar mm. spaces.
0: Um, Just, despite this, air quotes playing different positions, because you yeah. have to drift in from the right, and then obviously Havertz wants to drift into that channel.
1: Exactly. So they both want to play in that right half space. And I've seen people put together videos of Kai at Leverkusen playing with a right winger, except that that right winger was an actual right winger who stayed on the right-hand right hand flank, Bellerabi. And just you know went end line to end line, hugging the touchline, getting the old chalk on the boots. Zayic doesn't do that; he floats in field. Werner is the same. Werner is yes, he's a striker. Yes, Christian Pulisic is a left winger, but again, they both operate in the same space. So there's just they're good players. There's no question, and I think it will work, but I don't know if Frank can get it to work is the question. I also don't know how you keep the four of them and Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham and Callum Hudson-Odoi all happy. Uh, Edward Mendy's a good signing. He's not a great goalkeeper, but he is a good goalkeeper. He's better than Kepa. Well, that's the thing. He's better than, he's better than the Kepa we've seen at Chelsea. That's the thing. He is, he is an upgrade on, especially last season's Kepa, who was a disaster, but he does have flaws to his game. He's, not got the best judgment. He palms a lot of shots back into dangerous spaces. He flaps a little bit across as he does get touches on them and puts them kind of away, but not a dominant goalkeeper who claims the ball poor with his feet and dreadful as a sweeper keeper. But all in all I think it's a I think it's a B plus. I don't think it's the A it's been made out to be. Yeah, you you've actually gone
0: a little bit harsher than me, which is a little bit surprising. I, I have gone A minus for the, for the same reasons: the the lack of improvement in defense, the fact that they've kind of double covered with loads of money. Um, two years ago, we were told that Callum Hudson Odoi was like the next best thing in in English football, probably up there with Jaden Sancho at the time. And now he's what you just listed the names: their fourth or fifth best winger. Mm-hmm. Um, You have Pulisic, who was fantastic after the restart last season. Obviously, they still have Mount that plays in those positions. Then Havertz can play out wide. Well, Havertz can basically play anywhere on a football pitch, but (laughs) particularly in that front three or four, depending on the formation. And you're just wondering, like, where are all these players going to get minutes? Obviously, uh, finished top four last year, so they'll get the Champions League. But they've already been knocked out of the Carabao Cup, as some people may be aware, by Tottenham's third best team Um, but uh, are there going to be enough matches to keep all these people happy to your point I I think the answer is no I think that's why the the Hudson-Odoi rumors popped up Mm. again um, with him potentially going to Bayern who have shown an interest for a long time and if you're a young talented pacey British winger uh, you answer calls from Germany now (laughs) that has gone pretty well (laughs) for, for the people that have made that choice although maybe not exactly the the club you'd want to join in Bayern. Um, who obviously have have finally managed to replace... They, they, they have neither. a few wingers there. They, they have. have they finally managed ones. to replace Robin and Ribery. And neither of them were Shakiri who stayed there for like seven years, hoping it would be him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with Chelsea, they have so many attacking options, and you just wonder how they're going to get them all on the pitch. Werner hasn't hit the ground running, as a lot of people would have expected him to. Um, And, and the defense has to be where the questions are. I mean, I love Andreas Christensen as a prospect. He hasn't shown it yet. Kurt Zuma hasn't turned into the player he was supposed to. Thiago Silva's already I mean, he he's been past it at PSG for what a year or two now? That's and true. now is supposed to to turn it around in, in a league like the Premier League, where obviously in his first match he, he makes those huge mistakes against West Brom, but automatically gets handed the armband.
1: Yeah. By, that, that's by a concern, it's you it's know?
0: weird. It's it's a it's a weird window. In theory, this is too much talent to not make top four. Mm. I agree with you. The questions will be more on Frank than the squad building, but the squad building, there, there should be questions asked of it. Obviously, the star names will detract from any any criticism. But to your point, they, they've extra added in positions where they were already good and left some key areas a little exposed. Uh, the, the name that I I didn't hear while I was just looking ahead a bit was was Chilwell, who, who I think was a, yeah, a needed a good signing, but, but an, a big overpay. Yes, a massive overpay. And as you know, b- both Tottenham and Liverpool were interested, what, two, three years ago when he yeah. was just breaking in uh, to the, the senior team? That he, that he'd had. Yeah, yeah. So it was before he'd even broken into the first team. And I, I'm not trying to discount his rise. He has improved fantastically over the last three years. But is he not just a younger Marcus Alonso? And if your issue yeah. is that Marcus Alonso leaves you exposed on the left, is that the thing that Chillwell Chilwell Chilwell does you as fix?
1: well? And the the problem is, right, so we're led to believe that Thiago Silva is the, is the answer at the back. Last year they were terrible defensively, like legitimately terrible defensively, and especially on counterattacks. They could not defend counterattacks attacks. save the lives. There's two reasons for that. Number one, their best midfield duo are Kante and Kovacic, who don't yeah. really work together as a two, because neither of them are a holding midfielder. Both of them are much better when allowed to go forward, break up play, high up the field, be part of a counter-press, be able to join the attack, progress the ball with with dribbling rather than passing. So if you're playing a two, it's not ideal to play the pair of them, which means you have to play Jorginho, who's also not particularly good defensively, not a physical player. If you play him and Kante, they're also both very small. So that's a problem. They didn't address their, their midfield issue. At the back then, last season their centre-backs were disastrous including Kurt Zouma who I'm now led to believe is one of the best centre-backs in in the league Uh, when last year Antonio Rudiger was one of the best centre-backs in the league (laughs) and this year they couldn't try hard enough to get him out the door. So And failed. And failed, miserably. Um, We're 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 led to believe that Marcus Alonso, you know, leaving them exposed at the back was a big problem. Uh, But Chilwell will leave them exposed just as much. They haven't addressed the centre-back problem. And when you look at Rhys James, uh, he leaves massive gaps behind him as well when he goes forward. So now, Thiago Silva's the answer. He's going to solve the problems, except at PSG, he played with Thilo Carrera, who's a centre-back by nature, tall, rangy athlete, good defensively, very quick to his right-hand side. Presnel Kimbembe, who's very quick, really good defensive centre-back. Maybe one of the 15 best centre-backs in the world on his left. And Marquinhos, who's one of the three or four best centre-backs in the world, transplanted into a holding midfield role to protect him from in front. So he goes from three really good centre-backs around him to no good defenders around him at all. None. Not a single one. Unless Laquette is going to play... In which case, one of James or Chilwell can't play. So, how does this fix the problem? And Declan Rice was meant to be the, was meant to be the answer, but where, the talk was, he wasn't going to play in holding midfield. He was going to play centre back, where he's played maybe three times as a senior footballer. Yeah, and and they were where like Chelsea
0: fifty mil to do it, although they didn't.
1: D- didn't Chelsea decide when he was fifteen, you're not good enough as a centre back, son, out you go, get out of our club? Isn't that what they did? So uh, they ha- their defense is, is massively questionable. They haven't fixed the problems at all. Yes, Chilwell is an upgrade going forward, but he not, he's not an upgrade defensively. Silva is an upgrade in anything. Midfield hasn't been changed. And when I ask people, tell me how the front four is going to work, they tell me it's going to be four-two-three-one one with Ziyech on the right, Havertz in the center, Pulisic on the left, and Werner up front, except that Havertz hasn't really played a whole bunch in that role in that system and Werner mm-hmm. hasn't played in that role in that system mm-hmm. Werner either plays as, a two, as one of a two which works if you bring in With Tammy Poulsen.
0: yeah
1: yeah just, so polson you know Tammy would play the polson role always played on the left of a front three now all of those things are fine except they mean you have to leave one of the others out which is not going to le- go down well and it also means no Mason Mount and Mason Mount is key to their pressing yeah, and none of those plays are going to get back, by the way, to cover those no. pullbacks that want to get forward. None at all. Ziyech will track back, but he does it in a way that it looks like he's doing it, but he's not really. He's just running along after somebody. Uh, and he might get just, some interceptions, but he won't like, man-mark the guy all the way no. to the opposing touchline. Pulisic doesn't really bother with defensive work. Neither does Werner. Havertz will do a bit of it, but you know, I've seen other people say, oh, well, we'll play 4-3-3. And what it's going to be is it's going to be Mount, uh, Kante, and Havertz as the midfield three. Let's see how that works out, shall we? You'll concede six goals every game. Every game, six goals, without question. None of those boys can defend. Kante's a great ball winner. He's great at defending high up the pitch. He's not good at defending in a deep block. He's not good at th- the sitting role. Uh, when Antonio Kante took over, he went, right, Ugh. And Golo Kante, that's my holding midfielder. Played him there for three games. He was a disaster. An absolute disaster. Had to bring the Manya Matic back into the team. And that pairing won them the league. So for me, I just if they had a manager that I could trust more, I would give them an A purely based on the talent. I'd probably give them an A plus because I think Kai Havertz is that insanely good. But I don't know that they have a real manager. I've seen nothing from Frank to suggest he's good enough to manage Chelsea. And already this season, I've seen little hints that he's not good enough to manage Chelsea. Um, So, I don't trust the manager. They haven't addressed the midfield. They haven't addressed centre-back. And I'm not sure how Mendy works in that team. So, for me, it's a B. Now, you've, you've, you've got an A-. So, we're in and around the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I just think there's an awful lot of pressure now on Frank.
0: Yes or no? Top four for me? It's a yes.
1: <sighs> I think it's borderline. Yeah.
0: I have, but, th- but I just I just wanted to frame it that like while both of us have concerns about this window, they're
1: probably still fine. I have three teams nailed on for the top four. I think fourth spot is between. four teams. Yeah.
0: And it's just like that race for, for top 10, that, that race for top six this year, there are a lot of clubs that are in like batches
1: like that. Yeah. I um, think there's a top two. I think there's a noticeable top two. They're the top mm -hmm. two from the last two years. Then I think the Spurs fingers crossed, but yeah. And then I think there's a group of four with Chelsea, United, Leicester, and Everton. Yeah, the yeah. Ev. <laughs> and we'll frankly, if, if you, ha- you ask me to place a bet now, I think I'd put my money on Everton. Because yeah, I well, think they've well, got the best manager, and I think they're playing for each other, and, and their signings have fit in already. Mm-hmm. So there's not going to be any more. They've got ben Godfrey will come into the team, but in terms of the attacking shape, there's not going to be any flux. There's not going to be any, oh, does this work? Does that work? It's working it just is working so mm. i think i'd back everton at the moment and i think i'd have chelsea fifth but i'm going to do my predicted league finish uh monday week so this day week uh once the the domestic transfer window is, o- is over just in case somebody you know signs said Ben and i think that could make a change or <laughs> or Bundy, and that could make a change uh i'm going to hold off till next monday and do that but i do think I do think Chelsea, talent-wise, they should. There's no question. Talent-wise, they're top four. But whether it all fits together, whether the defence is is competent enough to get them top four, and whether Frank can do the job, they're all big question marks.
0: Yeah, and if they fall short, I don't think uh, Frank would be in that job much longer. Um, Moving on to Crystal Palace now. Uh, They didn't do loads of business but what they did do i think was was very good uh, as a obviously the the jewel of the window uh and lots of clubs were obviously in for him from qpr but palace managed to lock this one up I, I think when we did our show at the end of the the restart season i was worried that they were going to to mess around and miss out on him like they've done with a lot of other talented championship players in the past um but they, fi- they, they finally managed to get one and, and actually seal it up so uh congrats to them Uh, Everybody knows that Palace were really struggling for goals the last couple of years, really ever since Benteke's decline. But I think that made everybody think that the drop in goals was because of finishing. And I think what it really was was a lack of chances. Last year, Palace were dead last in chances created with just 265. Eze, who's coming in from the championship, was top 10 in the championship, and he had almost 100 by himself. So that's really, really going to improve there. Then, obviously, his movement and his technique are are incredible. Anybody that was uh, watching that nervy last day of the championship last season, the goal he scored against West Brom was incredible. Obviously, not the first one he did. Scored 14 goals on the whole last season. Um, but he also sets up chances. He scores goals. But he'll also interplay with Zaha really well. It'll give defenders another thing to have to think about, which... In theory, will make Zaha even better, which I think we've seen thus far um, this season already. Even though I don't think Eze started the first one, um, but I, I think that's all all fantastic. Eze is exactly what they needed. I think it was somewhat what they were hoping for um, when they brought in. Oh no, I'm I'm forgetting now. A uh, Schalke creative midfielder that Max did, Meyer. Thank you, Max Meyer, who who had hit a downskid in his career right before moving to Palace on that free, but he just he either hasn't lived up to it. Or Hodgson just doesn't like using a traditional 10. Either way, it has not gone well. So I think as a walks into that role for them. Um, they brought Batshuai back, you just mentioned, uh, in the Chelsea one. They bring him in on loan, and that helps fill the void that Benteke left when he became crap. Uh, and Obviously, Batshuai is a very talented player. He's, he's a little older now. The, the, I'm not sure I, I buy it as much as I used to. I don't think he overtakes Ayu immediately, who was obviously their player of the year last season. But if he started every match, he'd probably score like 10-ish goals, which is better than what Palace have had for a while now. So uh, definitely important that they brought in a player that can start up front for them. Um, although I will say, as far as strikers go, this is where I wanted Brewster to land. Because a Brewster as a Zaha trio just sounds so exciting. Um, obviously Batuaye brings a little bit less excitement, but I, I do think it's just odd, and I'm sure we'll talk about him later when we get to Liverpool. But I think it's so weird that the two Premier League clubs that had the most interest in Brewster were the two that created the fewest amount of chances last year. Sheffield United were 19th, Palace were 20th. Um, and you just wonder if they've seen what he did at Swansea and they're just like, ah, he'll go win us a match <laughs> regardless of what we provide him with. Um but I would have liked Palace as a better fit, as I think they'll be a lot better with Eze there. Um <laughs> Ferguson, we talked about in the summer one already. We also talked about in January. I gave them an F for missing out on Ferguson in January. Another example of them missing out on a championship player. They left it to the last day. He failed the medical, and then they just didn't have a right back for the rest of the season. Uh, no disrespect to Joel Ward. Well, maybe a little. <laughs> but um, I, I think that, that finally getting in Ferguson, even though he's still hurt, he hasn't started yet, is perfect. As soon as he's fit, he'll walk into that, that right back spot. Um, the weird one this window was Sorloth. He did incredibly well in Turkey, obviously scored loads of goals before coming to Palace. Didn't really do it there. He was supposed to be the Benteke replacement. He leaves, scores loads of goals. Just, just a pro tip, if RB Leipzig are looking at one of your players, maybe keep that player. They're, they're probably pretty good, um, but instead they sell him and that ends up paying for their whole window. They end up actually with a positive net spend in this mm. window. Um, and in theory, they've brought in three who will eventually be starters. As they will eventually start, Ferguson will start when he's fit. Batchouai, I think, will probably play up front with Ayu, mm. and Zaha will go back to the left. But it's hard to move Zaha after how he started the season, although obviously the, the last match was a little bit less impressive, and now everybody's jumping on him for annoying reasons. But on the whole, I think it's very good business. The Sorloth one's weird, but then you look at it financially and realize that it paid for everything else, and I, I think it kind of wipes away any concerns.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, Sorloth was a player that they had basically, basically, kind of discarded. You know, they sent him to uh, Trabzonspor last year on a two-year loan yeah. with an option to buy for six million. So, truth be told, they had no plans in ever seeing him again, um, and they managed to get a big fee. And like you say, it pays for as a it pays for the loan fee for Michi. They get Ferguson and Afrina. There'll be a tribunal fee, but I don't think it'll be massive for him. Um, I really like the window. I think they still need... I'd still like to see them sign a couple of a couple more. I think one in midfield. They're still looking at ben Rama, by the way. It should they be up, yeah, The domestic which window which is still open. Could be a lot of fun. If they went with, say... If they moved Zaha to the right and just really simplified his game, and let him torture right uh, left backs all game long with Ferguson behind him as the kind of defensive fullback who just locks down that right back position and then EC on as a 10 with Benrama off the left and then Patrick van Aanholt when he's back overlapping up that left hand side with Bachuayo up front that could be a whole ton of fun to watch i still think they need one more body in midfield someone a little bit younger a little bit more dynamic i'd like to see them add a young center back that they can develop because all of their center backs are kind of in and around you know between kind of 29 to i think gary cahill just passed 50 um and there's a lot of injury prone center backs there so i think a good young center back a young option in midfield who's got someone like Flynn Downs from Ipswich would be ideal in midfield. A tidy footballer, goes box to box, plenty of energy, little bit of dynamism about him. Intelligent player, would suit how they play. Someone like Matty Pollock from Grimsby uh, at centre-back. He's only 17 or 18, already been compared to the likes of Tarkovsky, Michael Keane, uh, Slabhead Maguire. So he's he's that type of traditional defender, which is what Palace look for. And then if they could add Ben Rama, I mean it would be it would be incredible. But if they can do all those things, if they could even get just get Ben Rama, I think that moves this window to an A. If they added the young centre back in the midfielder, I think it would be an A plus. I'm gonna give mm-hmm. them a B. Same. Because I really like the signing of Ferguson. I think it's a tremendously clever signing. Obviously they lost a lot when um, Juan Basaka left and Joel Ward does a good job, but he's you know, there's a reason he was left out when Juan Basaka appeared on the scene. Uh, he's he's a solid backup, he's not a starting fullback at this level, but Ferguson can be that player. Easy, I think, is one of the, the best signings anybody has made all summer. And I will always remain a Michi believer because I think as a goal scorer, if you ask him just to do nothing else. But finish chances, I think he can be very, very effective. I think he can get you 15 goals a season. So I'm going to give it a B. Um, but it, again, it's it's kind of an unfinished window for them, I think. And I, I don't think, I think they will do something. It wouldn't even surprise me if Todd Cantwell landed there. If they can't get Ben Rahman, maybe Cantwell could be a little bit cheaper. Or maybe, just maybe, they go the Emmy Buendia route. If, if they can find a cheap deal for Buendia, which Norwich might panic into, because they drop the price play him on... with God. easy then? I would play him on the left and easy on... Him on the right and easy on the left. Mm. And go and go four four two with those two out wide. And, and then, then Zaha up front. Zaha and up front. Batshuayi. Batshuayi. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, it'll make you narrow, and maybe it's yeah. more of a box midfield than a four, like a flat four, but I do think just the creativity... That you would get would create a lot of chances for the likes of of uh, easy or the likes of um, Zaha and Michi. and you know, the problem there would be you'd maybe need a more attacking right back because we know what uh, what Buendia will do is which is drift central, so may, maybe he's not the ideal fit. But there's, a, there's there's good Championship players out there. I think Palace can get one if not two in by the end of this week, and uh, and that will bump this window to an A for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But yeah, both Bs for us, but yeah, they, they still have upside and they're one of those clubs that could really benefit from a championship signing.
1: Next up then is one of the teams I think had one of the very best windows uh, yeah. ever. Um, Alan from uh, Napoli for 22 million is is a great signing. He's I think he's one of the very best midfielders in Europe. Uh, Niels and is a young left back they've brought in from Marseille. Don't know much about him, but everything I've heard from people that know him, say this is a really talented young player who'll provide a great backup to Luka Dinia. James Rodriguez. Now, there's a lot of cloak and dagger over that deal. There's some sources say it was a free transfer. Yeah. Others say they paid about $25 million. The The crowd claiming it's a free transfer are all basing it on a team in Colombia who say they were due part of a fee and they haven't received it and they've been told there's no fee. But I wouldn't put any faith into Real Madrid. There's a reason both clubs immediately came out and said, it's an undisclosed fee, it's an undisclosed fee, we won't disclose the fee, it's an undisclosed fee. I think there might have been a little bit of a a nudge-nudge, wink-wink, kind of envelope under the table kind of deal. But either way, it's it's a great signing. From an on-field perspective, he's been brilliant so far. From an off-field perspective, he just brings loads of eyeballs. I mean, whatever way you look at him, the guy's a superstar. He's one of the most popular players in the world. He's an immense talent. And he's he's lifted their levels impressively. They bring in Abdoulaye Dekure. I'm not overly keen on him. I think he disappears when the cameras aren't on. But he's a solid player. He adds something to the midfield. He brings power and pace and dynamism. He'll go box to box. He will run literally all day. Um, he's an incredible athlete. Uh, ben Godfrey is a signing I like. From Norwich. I think it's it's a clever signing. And um for twenty million, I think it's it's good value. Him and Holgate as maybe your long term centre back pairing is something I can get on board with. And then Robin Olsen, right, at the deadline on loan from, from Roma, I think it puts good pressure on the goalkeeper. Um because I think I think Pickford was their was their weak link. I've said that to you before. They didn't really lose anybody of note. Schneidlin, Sandra Ramirez, Stecklenberg. Uh, Omar Nies, Kuka Martina, none of these guys had really contributed anything. Leighton Baines, they will miss from a dressing room point of view because he's been one of their leaders. But all in all, I think it's a, a really good window. The only way they could have made it better is maybe getting rid of some more of their deadwood. But at the same time, when you look at their squad, they've pretty much got two good options in almost every position. So I do wonder if they'll regret loaning out Moise Keen if Calvert-Lewin has an injury or a dip in form. Maybe not having that kind of natural number nine to come in could affect them. But all in all, it's it's without question, it's an A window for me.
0: Yeah, the lack of another striker is exactly why I, ha- I haven't given it a plus either. In theory, they still have um, Tosin on the books. Um not sure if he'll, he'll wind up True, still being isn't, there. True, but
1: he's out with a knee injury for a while. so He
0: is, but he might be back by middle of the season, maybe.
1: Mm. Hard,
0: hard to say, because he, he suffered that injury right after joining Palace in January, right? Yeah, I think he so, played two games yeah. and got hurt. So even if it was an ACL or an MCL, I, I forget what kind of knee injury it was. But you know, a year-ish is usually around what the timetable is. Um, and I think an important note, which we haven't mentioned yet, is that you know we're two months away from the January window. Usually it's like three plus, but with the with window closing in October, the fifth for the full one and what, the 16th for the domestic yeah. one, um, you know, that, that's not a lot of time until we hit the January window, which is why I think you saw things like, uh, saw things like Rudiger sticking at Chelsea. Um, it's just because he's like, whatever, I'll figure it out in two months. Um, but yeah, it, it's an A for me. Obviously could have used another striker. I think they really could have used another right back as well. Um obviously the Sidibe thing didn't work out for them last year um but then th- they have gone with Coleman who's been fantastic to to start the season I just worry about what's what are the other options there um but maybe maybe they they shift Holgate over there and and then that that kind of opens up the opportunity for them to to put Maybe Godfrey John Joe
1: did. Kenny could could do could you do know, It did not okay on the he had a good start after the season but then mm. I think all of Schalke stank the place out from about November on. And have started the season doing the same. (laughs) Yeah, Schalke had a
0: not a very good season, and this one hasn't started particularly better. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so they, I still think they're a little thin in a couple of those places. I should really knock them all the way down to a D for not taking Gazzaniga, uh, which I, I really actually am surprised that they opted for, for Godfrey over Gazaniga. although I assume we were probably asking for a pretty hefty loan fee or probably $10 plus million, which as we talked about before for a backup goalkeeper might be a lot. But Gazaniga could supplant Pickford. I don't think Olsen will. And I'm not saying, mm. saying Gazaniga would, but, you know, at
1: is best and at Pickford's shakiest, those two switch spots. Um, I, I think Olsen at his best, though, is a, is a better keeper than Pickford. Still? Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, he had, he had a bad season at Roma. That's, no, that's, that's not in doubt. But look at every signing Roma have made over the last three years and how many of them have been a success. Mm-hmm. Like, Cheng is under, not a success. Justin Clivert, not a success. Amadou Di- Diwara, not a success. And they all should have been and they all should have been you know they're all exceptionally gifted young footballers but there's been there's been something wrong at roma for a couple of years now and it just seemed like a really toxic environment because when he went to Cagliari on loan he did all right he he managed to get himself suspended for four or five games for shoving a fellow in the face but he did pretty well now they fell apart in the second half of last season as well um and there was a load of upheaval, up, upheaval. But that's, you know, smaller Italian clubs are just bonkers. The stuff that can go on, at you know, they'll have 17 managers in a season. The same guy will get appointed four different times. People will fall out with the chairman. The chairman will be in the press giving it, you know, the big one, telling them that the players are disgrace and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's Serie A, is it's a different world to what we're used to in the Premier League. Um But I think at his his best, the the keeper we saw at at Copenhagen, the keeper we saw in the first half of his loan at Calgary, I I do think Robin Olsen is as good, if not better, than Pickford. And at the very, he doesn't have to be better than Pickford. What he needs to be is more reliable than Pickford. And that's where Gazaniga, I agree, would have come in. In that, at their best, yes, Pickford is a better goalkeeper. Pickford's best game is probably a 9 out of 10. Gasanegas is probably an eight out of ten, but Gasanegas' stock game—the game you get from him most often—is six to seven out of ten. Yeah, you rarely Pickford get below that. Pickford down to like a three. Pickford throws in a lot of three out of tens, a lot of three out of tens, and I think his stock game is six out of ten as well. I think he's overrated with his feet. He's poor on crosses. He's a good shot stopper, but he's—he's he's not one that saves a lot of shots that you know aren't he, he that he's not expected to save you know he's not one that plucks them out of the top corner the way we see with like hugo Lloris. i think is is maybe the best pure shot stopper in the league after de gea mm. and him and i think him and, and pickford are similar enough in stature you know Lloris is not a giant of a goalkeeper like like de gea or like allison becker or, or Mendy. but Lloris regularly make saves that you have to watch three times to try and figure out how he's managed it I don't ever really recall watching Jordan Pickford and thinking just how's he managed that he's a goalkeeper that concedes a lot of goals and always has in his loan spells at Sunderland and at Everton he's just a guy that concedes an awful lot of goals and for me if you can get a reliable consistent goalkeeper in there who can get your goals against record down to a about one a game and not one and a half a game, which is what Pickford's career average is in and around. I think it's 1.4 goals per game over his career, which is dreadful. Um, if you can just drop that even to like 1.1 goal a game, that can be the difference. Because Chelsea are going to concede a lot of goals. If you can be better defensively than them, you don't have to score as many as them. So they, that, that's mm-hmm. where you can, you can shift the balance and, and get yourself top four. Um, what was your grade for, for Everton? Sorry.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's an A for me. And and just to touch one more time on, on the Hamas Rodriguez signing, because I feel like we're being weirdly negative despite both of us thinking they have a chance to top four this year. Well, no, I, think, I yeah. What I love. Sorry, I was just saying what, what I love most about the Hamas Rodriguez signing isn't just the incredible player that he is, but he creates so many opportunities for those around him that they look more committed. When they're going forward, um, we we had this with Erickson when he was good and then lost it when he stopped being as good. When you have a player that can basically pick a pass out from anywhere to anywhere, you're more willing to make lung-busting runs, even if you aren't going to get the ball. Because there's always the chance that you will, and obviously players want to get the ball in dangerous positions, so having somebody that can create like he can makes everyone more lively going forward. And it's really crucial when trying to break down teams that set up to defend against you, is making sure that your players never stop their runs when they hit the defense. And then they just stop, and then you just pass it around them, and then nothing ever happens. Hamas obviously could score in that kind of situation from outside the box, but he'll also have more opportunities to slot the ball into people making willing runs now that they know that it's possible that somebody's going to pick them out, which you know they probably haven't had since the good Barkley year. So just... uh, Outside of the name, the talent, what he brings out of the players around him, I think is is one of the reasons we've seen them be so good thus far.
1: I totally agree. And what I love about him is he's adapted to the Premier League so quickly. There's none of this, oh, can he live with the pace? He's playing the game at a walking pace. He is literally jogging through games. He doesn't need to sprint. And he's so far ahead of everybody else in terms of his intelligence. It's not even funny. Yeah.
0: yeah he's, he's really picking the Premier League apart. And as you say, nobody's going to be asking if he can do it here. It, it has become very evident very quickly that he can. Uh, also, a big shout out to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I didn't super believe in, but now I'm starting to. Um, Moving on to Fulham, who <laughs> I also don't super believe in, but maybe uh they can turn my mind around on. I've given them either. A question mark or a C, because I admittedly have no idea how to grade this window. Even their chairman came out and said like two weeks ago that they had missed out on loads of targets. And and it just makes it hard to view any signings that they make, especially after that point, as positive. Because once your chairman is like, yeah, we need a lot of players, getting a lot of players doesn't seem a positive. It seems a reaction. Um, which is something that happened last time, which isn't particularly ideal. We'll start with the positive ones. I think getting uh, Reed back was crucial for them. Obviously, it was so important for them getting promoted last season. The only weird downside with it is they're so full up with central midfielders now. They bring in Reed. They brought in Lamina, who I also have liked at times in his career. They already have Jean-Michel Seri and uh, Zombo Nguisa in midfield there. That's a lot of players. If you're gonna use, um, I forget his name, the the Kearney. If you're gonna use Kearney as a central midfielder, which they shouldn't, because he literally never tracks back. That's five players there, all all battling for the same positions, and in theory, that could bring about a positive result. But Harrison Reed isn't better or more talented than the other ones that they have. But I do think he's more committed, which is going to be really important for them this. And so I do think the Harrison Reed signing is a very good one. How that whole positional group shapes out, we will see. The defense desperately needed attention. Attention. We spoke with um, Russ before the season started about their defense, and he was like, "Tim Ream cannot start for us in the Premier League," and I think he started every match for them thus far. So a little unsurprising that their defense has been as terrible as it has been. Um, I think that that bringing in Uh, Tete and Robinson is fantastic business both obviously attacking fullbacks but that's just kind of the direction the game is going these days Uh, but Kenny Tete is is a very very talented wingback and Anthony Robinson can get there I think he's further away from being good now Um, but that's kind of the question is if you're Fulham, how how much can you risk on young players developing in the one season that you're guaranteed to be up it's it's a little iffy for me. Um, I, I was honestly shocked that they managed to snag Alphonse Ariola. I know that his his stock has plummeted, but I have always believed in him um, from the Madrid days, the PSG days. Um, and so to see him rock up at Fulham, I, I think, has to be very encouraging for them. But his confidence isn't at an all-time high. And watching so many goals go past him in his first couple of starts before the defense has been sorted isn't great. Um, I do believe in the talent, though. I think that's a, that's a big step up in that position. Um, and then the one I want to hear your thoughts on is they've gotten in Ademola Lookman, who we've both loved for years. It was part of that one Everton window where for every old player they signed, they signed a really talented young player. Never made it there. But him off the right can do serious damage for Fulham, especially if he can link up well with Mitrovic, um, who obviously can score loads of goals, if if not much else. Um yeah, on the whole, they're they're good players. These are good signings, but we've been had before by Fulham. Um, I think I missed out uh Joachim Anderson and Aderabaya, who who they brought in for those uh center back spots. Both of them really talented players and mm. it it just I don't feel like I can trust it. I feel like I've been burned too much before on the Fulham signing lots of talented players after a championship season where they're, they've done really well, but then they replace all of them with more talented European stars. And it just feels like that's that's what's happening again. I don't know. Do, do you feel like you, you can trust this window? Like there's every chance that they're good enough to stay up this year. But I don't believe that they will be, despite knowing
1: that they could. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in the same frame of mind. I, I think this, there's two parts to this window. There's There's the permanent signings, they they made the knockhart deal permanent, but then immediately there's rumors that he might go on loan now to, to Nottingham Forest that they've appointed Chris Houghton which makes that a weird signing. Now whether there was some sort of agreement with Brighton prior to the loan, I don't know. Um I really like the signing of Anthony Robinson. Remember, he should be playing for AC Milan now. If it hadn't been for, you know, an, an anomaly in, in his heart, he would be playing for AC Milan now. He'd be the backup, but he'd be there. I really like that signing, and they got him for pennies. Harrison Reed again, a player I do like, a solid midfielder. I think he's, you know, he's the type of midfielder that Burnley have built their team on and, and people like that, you know, that just that neat and tidy, does everything well, not spectacular, but, you know, is going to get you through games, manages a game quite well. He's the type of player, along with Robinson, that I think... If they do go down, they go down with him, and he's already helped them get back up. Kenny Tete, I like. I think he's a solid fullback. Decent defensively. Decent going forward. Well-schooled at Ajax. Has a bit of leadership about him. A good signing, and they got him quite cheap as well. And Adabai... Ada, <laughs> Adabai... Adabai... Adaba I can't say his name. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to call him Tolson all season long and and that's my fault because my tongue doesn't work to to say his name properly for god knows why but he's a good center back he is the type of center back that you can build your defense around if your aim is you know either to get promoted from the championship or to stay in the premier league he is a good solid defender with plenty of room for growth i really like those signings individually and collectively as permanent signings and they've got them all at good prices I love the loan signings. I love Lamina. I think his attitude's a bit crap, but as a player, he's really good. Ariola, I really like him. I think there's, there's some weaknesses in his game, but he's a really good goalkeeper. Ola Aina is a really good attacking fullback. Like, really, really good attacking fullback. Adam ola you've mentioned we both love him. I, I think it's a great signing. I was calling for them to add more help up front. For Mitrovic, I think they, they do that with him. Jokey Manderson at Sampdoria was a tremendous defender. I didn't work for him at Leon, but it's a really good signing. And Ruben Loftus Cheek is a really good signing. It, it, these are really good individual and collective signings on loan. However, it's six loan players. I think only, only Ola Aina they have an option to buy which means the other five could potentially be looking at this and going, well, there's no point in really getting too stuck in because I'm not going to be here next season, no matter what. So I don't really care if they go down. I'm only here just to, you know, to keep fit. So I wonder, do you really get the full buy-in from them? If you do, if you do, I think it's a C-plus window, maybe even a B-minus window, because the talent is exceptional. Ruben Mm. Loftus-Cheek is a fantastic footballer. Anderson's a really good defender. Luckman's a really exciting player. Aina's a really good attacking fullback. Areola and Lamina are really good players. But I don't know that you'll get the full buy-in from them. I think as long as Dennis Adoy and Tim Ream and and Hector aren't playing, they're already ahead of the game. Because those three, with the greatest respect, are not good enough in the Premier League. Just not Mm. anywhere near good enough. So I wonder, is the best way for them to get their best players on the pitch a diamond midfield where you play Jean-Michel Seri as the deep playmaker, Lamina and Zambo and Guisa as the engine because both of them can be extremely dominant. though. Yeah. And then you play Loftus-Cheek as your 10. And then you've still got... Harrison Reed, who can play a number of positions in, in terms of being a backup, and the same with, with Kearney. And then you play Luckman and Mitrovic up front in a little and large combination. You get Mitrovic through the middle and Luckman floating wing-to-wing, linking play, dropping off, being a bit of a pain in the arse to deal with. Then you bring in Robinson and maybe Aina or Tete and Ana or Tete and Robinson, whichever combination works for you, as you're attacking fullbacks to give you your width, And then it's Tosin and Joachim Anderson as your centre-backs. Because on paper, that's a really strong 11. Problem is, it hasn't played together. We're four games into the season. There's no pre-season for them to get to know each other. There's no preseason for that defence to get to know the goalkeeper. And that becomes becomes a question for me. I, I also think there's big questions over Scott Parker. I mean, I think he did really well last season to get them up. I haven't liked what I've seen from them so far this season. Just from a pure talent point of view, I think it's a C plus. But again, you know, it's it's a bit scatter gun. It's a bit last minute. As you say, it's always concerning when the owner comes out and says, Yeah, we, we haven't done enough. And then they signed four players.
0: Yeah, definitely agree. Like I said, I, I gave it a question mark or a C. <laughs> Time will tell.
1: Um so next up then is Leeds. And newly promoted, just like Fulham. I think they've been really ambitious. They've obviously started well on the field. But they do the Helder-Costa deal. That was one they had set up from last season. Same with Meslier. Uh, Joe Gellhart, the young striker from from Wigan, is really highly rated. Charlie Al- Allen is a really highly, highly rated midfielder from Linfield. Cody Drama, Danny van der Heuvel, Sam Greenwood. Uh, Somerville from Feyenoord, all really, really exciting young players they've brought in. They bring back Jack Harrison on another loan, and then they go fairly big in the market. They bring in Rodrigo from Valencia, Robin Koch from Freiburg, Diego Loriente from Real Sociedad, Sociedad rather, and then Rafinha uh, right before the deadline from Stad Rens. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good window, and for a newly promoted. Club to spend the better part of seventy, eighty million there. I think it shows great ambition, and I have to say, I think it's an A. I think it's an A window. I, I really do. I think three international players. Rafinha was really good last season uh, in 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 France for for Ren, getting helping them get get third. I I think it's an A.
0: Yeah, they certainly brought in loads of of talented players, managing to get Jack Harrison back. When they had a loan with an option to buy, didn't take the option, but then just renegotiated another loan is is low key really really well done by their by their ownership. Um, Rodrigo Moreno I think is a great purchase. Robin Koch hasn't covered himself in glory obviously with a couple of penalties already, so that one's a little bit weird. I I think I, I've gone with a B by the way. Um, I think missing out on a player like Rodrigo De Paul is just gut-wrenching as a neutral. I just would have loved to see him play in general, play under Bielsa, play with this Leeds team. Um, That that one was really annoying. And uh, the Rafinha one is just really odd. I I don't know if you saw, but there were reports that players at Ren tried to block this move by going to ownership and saying he didn't want to leave, that he he was uh, apparently really visibly upset by the news that he was being let go. Uh, Obviously, they have European football this year, if memory serves. Um, And so then you see him side for Leeds and he's like kissing the badge and all this. And it just it feels a little off. Obviously, as a player, he's fantastic already. Loads of upside. Him on the right, Harrison on the left. Uh, you assume Bamford up the middle until he stops scoring goals, which hasn't really happened yet, and then it'll probably be Rodrigo. Or you can play the two of them together. Obviously, hmm. Rodrigo familiar uh, playing up front in a two. But yeah, the Rafinha one hits me as weird. But yeah, I, I think the rest of their business was was really fantastic. Just missing out on Rodrigo DePaul, Paul, I'm personally salty about.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they revisit that in January, because yeah. Udinese are absolutely trash. They are awful. And it wouldn't surprise me if Leeds go back in in January because he wants out. It's very clear he wants out, yeah. And I think they'll they'll their revisit kids are that dope, one. Though. Yeah, their kids are incredible. They're one of the best <laughs> in the league. Uh, the Rafinha one is interesting. I I read that same I think the same report as you. Um, they obviously do. They have they have Champions League football this year, and that's maybe why he wanted to stay. But I mean, from their point of view, they sold him and they got Jer- Jeremy Doku. So. I think they've done really yeah, well. Brilliant. If you can get Dopey you, you just gotta. You just well, do it. <laughs> and I wonder <laughs> with Rafinha. <laughs> yes, I know. Like it's just another one. Um, I wonder with Rafinha if the plan is that maybe this year he'll play in more of a wide role and then he will transition centrally to kind of replace um Pablo Hernandez in that kind of central attacking role. But I I, I think, you know, it's great to see. Uh, a newly promoted team show such ambition we've seen it obviously villa we've seen it with fulham now twice whether their ambition is mis- misplaced or not we don't know yet but it was the last time as villas was last year but leeds seemed to have a real plan like it wasn't a scattergun approach they didn't get a couple of the players they wanted you know you mentioned rodrigo de paul they tried to sign miko Cuisance from uh, from bayern munich a mysterious yeah, that was a weird injury. One. Appeared and then Byron checked his foot and said, No, there's no injury there.
0: And, and then he, he confirmed that there was no issue with this yeah, uh, so Marseille.
1: And, my guess, my guess on it is that the uh, John Kevin, uh, Kevin John Augustine deal that they had done in January, where he was to become a permanent signing if they got promoted, and then because football stopped the day his his loan expired, they were like, right, We don't want you anymore back to, uh, back to Leipzig with you, we haven't been promoted yet. Uh, no, no, that we we weren't promoted so we can walk away from this deal. And Leipzig were like, well, absolutely not. In no way can you walk away from this deal. And not just that, we're going to release this guy on a free now and let him just go about his merry business because you owe us 20 million. And if you don't want him, we're still going to get our money. And I wonder if Leeds have gone, you know what, we can't actually afford to do him and Rafinha. So we'll, keep, we'll buy Rafinha because we need that position more. We'll let this deal fall by the wayside, and we may just send that money on to Leipzig because otherwise, it's going to get really messy. Yeah,
0: that that, that could definitely be what happened. It, it's it's a weird one, and some of their some of the stuff surrounding Leeds has felt a little bit weird this year. But with Bielsa in the squad, they have, I, I think. At least of the three promoted sides, they have the best chance of staying up, and, and I think they just period have a, have a good chance of staying up this year. I
1: I, I like the the two pronged approach in, in the recruitment as well. The the buying for now with Rodrigo, Cock, Lorienti, and Rafinha, and the buying for the long term with Gelhard, Alan, Dramar, uh, Greenwood, and Somerville. You know they're they're they went two pronged at it, and I think it's worked for them. I think they've safeguarded their future and improved the team for now. Yeah, agreed. Um
0: we'll move on to Leicester who I've given a B. It, it, it's a tidy window from them. Obviously the big loss is Chilwell um made the move to Chelsea for uh, for around 55 million. Um but they did well to hang on to a lot of their other talents although a lot of it is probably due to injury. I mean Madison and Didi Pereira all injured all obviously players that other clubs would have loved to sign. Um, personally shocked that Tottenham wound up going Hoybier over Ndidi, who we have scouted for about six years now. Um, and it's just, it, it feels like ships in the night. It doesn't feel like that one's ever going to happen now, but they, they did well to hang on to all of them. The addition's pretty good. I think Castagna is, is really the perfect signing for them, despite being, uh, not one of the two best out <laughs> wingbacks last season. But he fits Lester so well fit wise because, as we've already seen, he's been able to cover right back until Pereira gets back. And then when Pereira's fit, he can switch to left back or at least be the short term replacement there um, until they they get a permanent replacement for Chilwell. Or maybe that makes or maybe he makes that position his own. Um, I do prefer him on the right. Nine of his last Mm. 10 goal involvements came with him on the right when he was at Atalanta.
1: He prefers it on the right as well. He was quite outspoken last season about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but he's not better than Pereira, (laughs) which Mm. is kind of the issue there. Um, And we've seen how good he can be there. As as you say, he doesn't prefer being on the left. I, he's still pretty decent there. It's a much shorter job from Chilwell to Castagne on his weaker foot than it is from Chilwell to Justin, uh, at least at this point in time. Um, So, so fit-wise, I think it's perfect. But you're right. Let's let's just hope this doesn't kick up drama like when uh, podcast asked Vertonghen to play left back a few too many times, and it, and it caused a pretty substantive rift. Um, but uh, the other signings, I also like. You mentioned Cheng is under not making it at Roma, but a hyper talented player. Bringing him in to either just challenge Perez or to overtake him, I think is great. Whichever of those outcomes you get uh, is better. If it is just to to light a bit of fire under. Oh no! <laughs> if it does light I, now, I can't say it. If it doesn't light a fire under Perez and he takes that job, I think a front three of him, Vardy and Barnes is incredible. Um, th- the reason why this isn't a higher grade for me is, Dave, we, we've said it for what two, three years now. If Vardy gets hurt, are are you believing nacho is going to yeah. keep you in a in in the race for the top six? If Schmeichel gets hurt. Do you think you're still in a race for the top six? Uh, obviously, bringing in Fofana, I think, was a brilliant signing. But if Johnny Evans gets hurt, are you playing a 19-year-old Fofana and that's supposed to get you top six or top four? I, I just, I love the signings. I love that they managed to hold on to everyone. I think they fit, replaced Chilwell as well as they could in such a weird window. And, and the Castagna one is a very smart signing. But I, they, it, if everything goes right, they're great. They'll, they'll challenge top six and maybe even top four. But if they get an injury up front at center back or a goalkeeper, this their season could get really heavily disrupted.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think Castagna is a weird one. I think if if they're going to play a back three, which they have done under Rogers a few times, then as a left wing back, he absolutely works because he's proven he can play there. Um, at at, at Atlanta. But if they're going to play a back four, I'm not sure he works as well as a left back. He's obviously a good right back and a, a very good wing back, but not as good as Pereira. It makes me wonder if maybe they're planning for Pereira to leave next summer. Um, and they'll just have their in-house replacement in him. They've been playing James Justin at left back. He's obviously a right back by nature as well. And they have that young Thomas kid who's a left back. As their the only natural left back. For me, in an ideal world, I think they would have bought a left, another left back, maybe someone like Tagliafico, and then Cass, uh Casani would be the third one, similar to his role at Atalanta. Maybe he wouldn't have been happy with that, but you'd have really good options then, and then you still have your two young players in Thomas and Justin for the for the long term future. Um, I, I love the signing of Fafan. I think he's a brilliant young centre back. And I think if they've, you know, as long as they keep Johnny Evans and Sionchu fit, they can develop him and Benkovic nice and slowly and get them, you know, the right type of minutes. And that's a really solid centre back group. Um, Keeping Ndidi is massive. You know, they've got Tielemann still there. He's brilliant. They've got Madison also brilliant. They have uh, Hamza Chowdhury. They have Dennis Prayet. So they've got really good options in midfield. And Palace Mendy as well. So they're stocked in midfield. Perez gives them that left-footed, right-sided player. Or, not Perez, sorry. Under gives them that left-footed, right-sided player who can challenge Perez, probably take his role, because I think that's one of the weak links in the team. Um, I think they would have preferred maybe a David Brooks, or perhaps even a Dwight McNeil, and play him there. But... hmm. Finances dictate, and maybe we see that next summer. Maybe that's if they sell Pereira next summer, maybe they they turn that money into one of those kind of players. Uh, Harvey Barnes, I I love, and they do still have Damari Gray and all Brighton for depth and you know a little bit of pace off the bench. But, like you say, what happens if Vardy gets hurt? What happens if if Schmeichel gets hurt? I, I would have been looking this summer to start, you know, to bring in the long term successes because. Vardy's 33 now. I think Schmeichel's the same age. So how long do they really have left at this level? Like, Vardy is still scoring like it's going out of fashion, but he's relying a lot on penalties now. And that was kind of the case last season as well. Um, He's not the dynamic player he was. He's more of a penalty box player. He's, you know, not able to do that kind of lung-bursting 60-yard sprint on a counter attack. And I think we've seen a bit of a decline in Casper Schmeichel as well. I don't think he's the goalkeeper he was the year they won the title, for example. I think he has declined. So for me, that's where I would have been looking to add. Now, again, it's, it's the COVID market. So you do have to take into account that the money that they had probably hoped would be there isn't there. But at the same time, they didn't spend a lot of the Harry Maguire money last year. So I, you know, I would have thought we'd see more spending from them. I, I think they've actually made a profit this summer. Their outgoings are about fifty-five million. They got fifty for Chillwell. They sold Adrian Silva. I assume they got, you know, somewhere in the region of ten million for him. They'd want to have given they paid forty. They sold Diabate. I think they got four or five million for him. They got a million for Kaputska. So you, you'd imagine they had an eight to ten million net profit on the window. Uh, depending on what the loan fee is, obviously, for under. But all told, I think, yeah, it's a B window. They had a big opportunity here for an A window. And I think even if they just added Tagliafico or someone, or Rico Henry, that could have made it an A window. Mm-hmm. But all things considered, I think it's a solid window. But the, the the Vardy and Schmeichel thing, that's something they really need to start looking at and planning Three for. Three years ago. <laughs> yeah, because if, like, it, the, what's going to happen with Vardy is he will just fall off a cliff because his game is so predicated on pace and he's a good finisher. Like there's no question. He's a good finisher, but there is going to come a point where he just falls off the cliff and you're like, now what do we do? Because as you say, Ian Acho, he shows three, four game flashes of talent. And then it it just, it just falls apart from, um, and you know, the, the other strikers they have on the books, people like, George Hurst and that they they don't look like yeah. so it's you know it's a it's a good the, the big positive for them, like you mentioned, they kept Barnes, they kept Madison, they kept Telemans, they kept Ndidi, and they kept Sionchu and they kept Pereira. That's that for them of of the guys they could have lost, Chilwell was the most expendable. All mm. those other players are levels are a level above Ben Chilwell. Um and as for you, you mentioned the Ndidi thing. I think Spurs looked at it and went, right, we can get Heusberg for 15 million and they also want Walker-Peters and we'll pay so it's 12, three. so it's three, <laughs> or we can pay 60 million for Ndini and, and <laughs> probably not afford to do much else. So all things considered, it's, and, and Heusberg brings leadership and he's a better passer, so that probably mm. factors into it as well. But all in all, I think, like you say, it's a B, it's a B window for Leicester and it's, it's it's a good start to the season for them so far. They've they've been yeah. you know I know they got they got thumped by West Ham but you know they were really good in the three previous games. Um, they've shaken off the the filth of last season and how that went after Christmas, which I, I thought was going to hamstring them. I originally predicted them to finish ninth because I was really concerned about where where their form would go after last season and because I've mm. seen Rodgers before when things go wrong just start to fall apart. And it goes wrong real fast. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly credit to him he's turned it around so kev uh any final questions then or anything anything you want to cover before we wrap up part one um just one last lester bit for you
0: fofana or saliba who's better now and who will be better long term obviously the two san itm boys
1: i think Fafana's the better defender Saliba's the better ball player i think long term saliba probably becomes the better all-rounder but Fafana is, from a defensive point of view, he's really, really special. I mean, he's dominant in the air statistically. He matches up quite well with Virgil van Dyke, surprisingly enough. Um, but obviously, you, you do have to factor in it was the French league and it's a much smaller sample size. But yeah, defensively, I would rather have Fafana as an all-round player. I would probably rather, excuse me, rather have Saliba. Mm. Um, I would actually rather both were still at saint <laughs> because I think they, I think they could have developed into just an unbelievable partnership there, and it's just unfortunate that their finances dictated they had to sell both in such a short period of time, and then they lose both in the one window because obviously Saliba spent the year on loan. But I think I think Fafana will make the better, the quicker impact in England, because it looks like Saliba's is probably going to the Championship on loan for a year. Yeah, it does sound like that. Cool. Yeah, I was just curious your thoughts on that one. Uh, so that's it. That's part one of our 20-team recap of the uh, the summer 2020, I suppose. Uh, kind of autumn 2020 transfer window. <laughs> um, we will have part two out later this week on the EPL Roundtable feed. So if you're not already following that, make sure you do. At EPL Roundtable on the Twitter machine. You can follow Kev at Kevrov on the same machine and, and check out his ramblings and you know, Spurs-based bias, as you can find my <laughs> Liverpool-based bias at two-footed podcast. Um, and that's it. Thank you as always to you for listening. Thank you to Kev, thank you to producer Guy and his American cousin Gus. Uh, <laughs> thank you to EPlindex.com for giving us this platform that we we so greatly appreciate. and thank you to our presenting sponsor. Liberty Shield Liberty Shield is that VPN provider that you will need. So check out libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software package. Until next time, thanks for listening.
0: Network.